Welcome. This is the Social Leader Podcast, inspired by entrepreneurs, founders, faith leaders, innovators, volunteers, and visioneers from every walk of life. They are the social venturers among us, those who crave the entrepreneurial adventure of moving beyond charity to then integrate and operationalize their social priorities. Social leaders are the true leaders among us who forge sustainable solutions to solve humanity's most tangled problems. Welcome to the show. I'm Father Justin Matthews. And hey, real quickly before we begin, I want to let you know that this podcast is presented, as always, by Reconciliation Services. We're a nonprofit social venture in Kansas City working to cultivate a community seeking racial and economic reconciliation to reveal the strength of all. And if you're inspired by what you learn on today's podcast, I want to invite you to learn to lead with greater creativity, authenticity, and social impact by checking out my new online e-course called The Social Leader Essentials. When you enroll in this e-course, you're going to get over two and a half hours of leadership training with me, and it's going to help you to adopt a social entrepreneurial mindset. It's going to help you root out bias in yourself and in your team and help you to embrace a trauma-informed, strength-based leadership style. And the coolest part of the whole thing, to me, is that all of the proceeds from this e-course are used to fuel the social and trauma therapy programs at Reconciliation Services. So check it out today. Go to thesocialleader.org, and you can enroll today. Well, I am super excited to welcome a very special guest today, I have been hoping to interview this man for quite some time because of the very unique history that our organizations have. And I'd like to welcome today from the Osage Nation, Principal Chief Standing Bear. Chief, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Father Justin, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I am so excited to get into talking to you. There are so many things happening in our world and in your community. But I want to actually take us back in time just a little bit, if I can, because there's something that you and I know about that happened that maybe a lot of other folks don't know. And that is this, that on May the 21st, 2006, the Kansas City, Missouri City Council declared Osage Nation Day and that it would be celebrated on Troost Avenue at a festival that the founder of Reconciliation Services, Father Alexi, helped to co-found. And I thought maybe just because it's very short that I would read this resolution because I don't think a lot of people know about it. It goes like this, declaring May 21st, 2006 as Osage Nation Day. And I'm going to put this on the screen for those that want to look at it. Osage Nation Day. It says, whereas... See if I can get that bigger. There we go. <clears throat> it says, whereas the city of Kansas was original, Kansas City was originally founded on former Osage territory, and whereas the culture, ways, and traditions of the Osage people are highly respectful of diversity and the environment, and whereas European settlement and displacement of original peoples throughout the region has caused them and the citizens of Kansas City great pain. And whereas the Osage value of community is desperately needed, 
And whereas the Truist Avenue Festival being held on May 21st, 2006, will recognize the city was land that was formerly inhabited by the Osage Nation and especially true of Truist Avenue, which was a former Osage Canoe Trail. And whereas historians believe that the Osage Indians carved out routes and that today's city is built upon these old Osage trails. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the Council of Kansas City that the mayor and council hereby declare May 21st, 2006 as Osage Nation Day to be celebrated at the Truist Avenue Festival. And be it further resolved that this resolution be spread upon the minutes of the council in testimony thereof, and that a copy hereof be presented to Chief Jeffrey Standing Bear, representative of the Osage Tribal Council, in token of the high esteem with which the Osage Indians are held in the hearts of the mayor, council, and citizens of Kansas City. You know, I would love to know a little bit more about when that day happened on May 21st in 2006 and you came. Can you tell us the story of you coming to Kansas City to represent the Osage Nation and what that felt like? And then also maybe what else happened in conjunction with it? Chief Gray called me and said that he was unable to attend and asked me to represent Osage Nation. Uh, at this event, he explained to me what he knew. Uh, we had not heard about the truce uh, area before. I drove up and uh, parked, not knowing a lot about the history, except what we had found in the internet. And I went up to the organizers and introduced myself. And it was before it began. And I saw a group of Orthodox priests uh, over in one area. I went over and visited with them and learned more about the history. And then the organizers informed me more about the history. And community um, uh, diversity has always been um, uh, important to me when I was at the University of Oklahoma as a student. I uh, served on the uh, City of Norman Human Rights Commission, hmm. which a lot of people don't know about that. That was a long time ago. So my interest uh, has been consistent uh, on diversity. I, I see it in nature. I see it in among humans, and it seems to be a necessity for life, and uh, like everyone who is more active than I am and always has been, there's some real movers and shakers. And I met some of those at this festival on Truce Avenue. And I eventually uh, met a city council representative and we, one after another, went and spoke on the stage and I remember uh, when I was speaking, looking down the street, and there were some large murals of uh, African-American leaders on these buildings. And then to my right was a giant sheet covering something, and I didn't know what it was. 
uh, time. And soon after I spoke, the uh, organizers announced a mural of an Osage Indian, uh, and that was unveiled uh, there. And um, that I don't know if anyone was filming that day. Uh, they should have been. Yeah, they were. I actually found some footage of the muralist, a man named Alexander, who was um, painting it in preparation for you to come. It's it's entitled The 200-Year History of Truce. And Father Alexi, who was the co-founder uh, with his wife, Thelma, of Reconciliation Services, they commissioned and, and with his church uh, brought that together to tell the story uh, from the time of the Osage Nation and the hunting trails that approximate Troost all the way through until today. So it's a it's one of those pieces of Kansas City history that people just say, oh, there's that mural there, but they don't know perhaps the real importance and the connection of how that came about. I know that a number of people, um, Chief, were there and that some of the white clergy actually gathered together after the proclamation was made by the city and they, they made an act of repentance and reconciliation. Can you recall that and tell us that portion of the story and what it meant to you? Well, it was uh, very uh, much appreciated by me and I uh, felt humbled that I was the only representative uh, from the Osage uh, when uh, really it should have been shared uh, with more people. Of course, nowadays, we can do that with social media, live Facebook, and all of that. But I do remember being uh, just one person and thinking, how can I communicate this back um, among the people? So I went uh, the next day uh, to meet with uh, when Chief Gray returned from his other uh, activity and I gave him the uh, resolution that was presented to me and I told him and his advisors um, what I had witnessed. And that was the best I could do at that time. Yeah, I remember Father uh, Alexi. At the time, his name was Father Pisius, and he was the clergyman, the Orthodox Christian clergyman that you remembered. He had that, that big three-bar Russian cross on that you remembered when we were talking. And Father Alexi recounts that, you know, Really, reading Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee was a seminal turning point for him in his spiritual life, but also in his work towards reconciliation. And, you know, there have been so many treaties broken, treaty after treaty. And in so many ways, as the European white economic boom took place, fueled very often by slavery, as it was here later in the Porter Plantation on the land where I'm sitting now, um, that slavery-fueled economic boom actually then led to the destruction and the taking of your tribe's ancient lands. And I know that Father Alexi and many others, um, they recounted to me that they bowed and to full prostration to the ground and asked, for forgiveness, and that there was a deep sense of a need to acknowledge what had happened. And I was very moved when I heard that story because I had not heard of that. You know, that didn't make Fox News or CNN or something, you know. But like you said, I think more people should have seen it because 
it represents, I think, such a beautiful beginning for reconciliation to read a proclamation that says these are the, the lands that belong to the Osage nation, a nation that valued community and diversity, both environmentally and, and in its people. These were the former Osage canoe trails, and now the city is here. And if we don't know from where we've come, we don't know how to get to where we want to go. And so I, I'd like to know, do, do you feel like we need more of these kinds of acts? There's so many things happening right now, even in, in, in eastern Oklahoma. You know, there are lawsuits and other things. What, what role does acknowledging the past play in reconciliation to you? What role do we need to have in reconciling and, and acknowledging these right, things? Right, right. I, I, uh, my, my belief is we need to understand as best we can what that past is. And with the Native American and the Osage people, uh, our uh, history has been uh, uh, seen through lenses that are not ours, uh, that are from the uh, conqueror. And uh, we have uh, often been portrayed in a very <clears throat> unfair, uh, simple manner uh, when the extent of our, of our culture and our cities uh, and then and villages were, were, were not appreciated. Our organizational structure or thousands of years of development. Um, and then to have it all end so quickly uh, with the series of treaties between 1808 and 1825 in particular, when tens of thousands of us were pushed out of the state of, what is now the state of Missouri from our homes. Um, and you can see the uh, statistics that the Jesuit priests kept, just one uh, group of Osages, they were, working with, they show from 1830 to 10,000 people uh, to 1860, uh, went to 3,700. And then you uh, hear our stories and see other sources as our population when we were into Kansas and like many other tribes, most of this were um, smallpox, measles, typhus, other diseases that were foreign to us. We finally came to where we are now, uh, just over 2,000 of us in 1906. And that's quite a uh, shock to any culture when nine out of 10 of your neighbors and leaders and religious folk disappear from the earth um, under often terrible circumstances. It's, it's the effect on the culture is, is, is massive. Uh, we now try to remember that uh, through a history that we believe is accurate. We have the Jesuit records, in fact, with, we've made an agreement with the province uh, to have um, pay, we paid for preservation and copies of those notes from the 1840s and mm. 50s. That's a big accomplishment. We've been scouring the universities uh, for their 
collections of what was going on historically. So we, we've been looking at the source material um, instead of interpretations. There are a lot of books about the Osage, um, and some of them are just really outstanding. Um, but we're looking here at the source material and then get it organized and then put it on a, uh, a new internet uh, or web page we're developing so people, our people, anybody could access this material and judge for themselves what, what it says, knowing though it is only a fraction, a view oh. of visitors often to another culture. So reconciliation uh, of the past is based on what is that past yeah. that we're trying to re reconcile. And so yeah, you have to have the truth of it. If you don't have the truth, yeah. you don't have the ability to reconcile. Exactly. Right. Do you have recollections? I mean, I know your grandfather, your great grandfather, I believe it was your um, your grandfather was uh, principal chief of the tribe at one point in time as well. And uh, do you have family stories or could you tell a story um, that would help give people listening an understanding of the lived experience of what it was like to have those treaties broken in the early 1800s time and again, and then of the forced resettlement of the original peoples who were throughout the region here in Kansas City and the Great Plains. Do you? Let me just tell you a couple of quick things. Um, my, I'm thinking of my grandmother who lived with us. Uh, <laughs> she is the person that uh, I, I asked when I was a teenager, uh, Grandma, why, why is it that Osages, uh, we don't whistle after dark? I mean, all my life as a child, we don't whistle after dark. And I finally asked the question, why? And uh, she, she looked at me and said, well, uh, if you whistle after dark, you can give away the position of the camp in the village. And I realized right there, okay, here I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at the dining room table with my grandmother, who grew up learning the Osage language and culture first. We're living in different worlds. <laughs> And, um, and that was a revelation as a young, uh, as a teenager. So I, I asked her also, since she was the translator for her father, uh, when he was chief, uh, a lot of the questions that, uh, about the changes that occurred. And she didn't, and like a lot of her people, did not want to talk about that. Um, but we did uh, explore, um, the world as it was with the, with from her her my uncles and others point of view and the example i want to give is i, I mean no disrespect to uh, to the united states or anyone but one day we were sitting there it was fourth of july mm. and a historical day and, and knowing that my uncles served uh, in the marine corps and, and the army and so forth nevertheless um, she uh, was sitting there, we were just her and I, and I said, well, Grandma, what would you like to do today? It's 4th of July. Would you like to drive around and go see these fireworks? And she looked at me and said, why would I want to celebrate a day 
when these people came and took my country. And then I, I said, this is back in the early 70s, uh, very early 70s, like uh, 1970. And uh, at that time, there was some uh, 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 political movements going on about civil rights, the Native Americans were involved as well. And I, I compared her to some of those leaders uh, 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 in a kind of a joking way. And we had a good laugh, and then we decided to go watch a fireworks display. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a powerful story, but it, it, I think, is an example of kind of the confluence of lived experiences that so many uh, are raised with. And, uh, you know, so many people don't know that tension. And I think that if we're going to really move forward, one of the things that I'm thankful for is social leaders like yourself who are willing to share those personal stories and those intimate stories. And I appreciate your vulnerability in doing that. I wonder what role art plays, because I know that there's an incredible, I'm going to share the Facebook page. And by the way, if you're listening live and you want to make a comment and ask a question and be glad to bring you in if we can, but there's a wonderful Facebook page. I just put on the screen. If you're watching on online, it's uh, facebook.com Osage Nation Museum. And on that uh, website, you can see some beautiful art. There's one particular exhibit coming up, which I'm very interested in, and it's called Views from Within. And it's all art made by Osage who are at home because of COVID. Tell us the intimate side of what's happening on in, in the reservation with your people uh, as, a re as a result of COVID. And, and then let's move from there to art and the role art plays. But first, what's been happening? I've heard so many stories that it's hit the reservations so much harder than the general population. Tell us what's going on. Well, let me give you the short story. Um, our reservation you know, population is um, mostly non-Osage. Uh, given the uh, history of people settling in the area, during, especially during the big oil days in the 1920s, um, and ranchers. So we uh, have to be reliant on the cities, counties, state activities uh, on, and, and declarations uh, because we interact so much. But here in our territory, which is within all of that, uh, in March, late March, I declared a uh, state of emergency. We closed our offices. Uh, we closed our casinos for two months, which stopped our revenue streams. And um, we eventually uh, uh, decided to uh, test as a way of determining our status and our medical uh, staff here in our small clinic rose to the occasion with their other support staff and began regular testing. We were doing about three weeks uh, at a time. Every three weeks, everyone was being tested. Wow. The employees. And then we were then learning about contact tracing. And now we've got that down uh, pretty good. Uh, 
and we uh, tested just last week. Uh, again, uh, we also have uh, a policy of mask or face coverings for the employees. We cannot dictate to the public, uh, or at least it's my view we can't, um, that for our employees we think that's the way to go. So, you know, that's all controversial, uh, whether it should or shouldn't, uh, social distancing. We pretty well, being in a rural area, practice social distancing anyway. It's just a way of life when you sure space. Um, What's been the yeah. economic fallout of it for you all? I mean, with the reserve, with the reservation and the and the casino closed. I mean, what's what's been the situation with people and jobs and and the economy? Uh, we had a furlough over a um, thousand casino employees for a period of time. Wow. Uh, we were able to keep most 90% or more of our government employees funded. The payroll protection program, uh, we jumped all over that uh, in both casinos and the government. Uh, we then dipped into our reserves and mm. uh, were able, and then separately from that, the uh, stimulus package included some funding for governments, including tribes. And uh, we were able to re-employ people uh, even after they came back from furlough in these new projects. And, and let me, if you don't mind, let me just keep going a little bit on that. Um, you mentioned in your intro sustainability uh, for the future. We have taken half of the monies received from the federal government uh, on the stimulus and invested in uh, greenhouses and storage and farming, our farming operations and our uh, cattle operation and bison uh, operation, which is relatively small, but it's growing, and a meat processing plant. The meat processing plant itself, just that, is uh, $8 million just to build and we believe um, that food uh, sustainability and good healthy food is key to our future. And we learned that at the beginning of this pandemic when the director of the, some programs for preschool came in and said, uh, we can't get any meat for the children. Mm. And I said, uh, well, why not? And they said, it's just not available. So I said, well, we have 3,000 head of cattle uh, five miles away. Let's go see what we can do. And they said, chief, you can't do that. They got us the USDA certified beef processor, et cetera. So we, we learned very quickly uh, that the existing meat processing uh, plants were backed up for seven, eight, nine months. And then when we were finally able to get some meat, um, the uh, the cost was uh, sometimes triple. I love how you're so, thinking because you're not just taking something that, you know, is a stimulus and then handing it out and, and not looking for a way to magnify it, but you're amplifying it. And I think that that kind of, I, I call it in the e-course, the social entrepreneurial mindset, that social venturing mindset is really key. And I think that 
nowadays, especially with the pandemic and the things that we're facing, we have to be thinking like that. How can we take what we have and magnify it to create sustainability? And it right. sounds like you've done a fantastic job with that. Well, we I know. had to take uh, politically, politically now, uh, and, and we had to cover a lot of bases. Uh, mm. And I say that uh, because there, I say politically because hard decisions had to be made with the limited amount of money we had. And all of our people need more money. Yeah. Okay. So we made a conscious decision to place uh, a little more than a quarter of that fund into direct payments to our people, even though they deserve more. We have to understand what the future will be and the risks that are ahead. And, and, if, and with our history, with smallpox and disease and, 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 and other uh, unfortunate human activities, if we haven't learned, we better prepare for a sustained future. By now, we're never going to learn it. So yeah. Yeah. we have learned, and we're taking strong action in our farm uh, and our people, finding the right people who share the passion to take care of each other. Um, that's been a real joy. That's probably the best thing about this job, seeing how the children react to adults who have the passion and love for the world and the people in it, and then have a way to make turn that into some sustainable process and organization. Just watching the people do that is, and they got more energy than I do. They're often smarter than me. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's just really nice to see. Well, one of the ways I know that you have led, and, and in particular, um, someone that you mentioned to me, Marla Redcorn Miller, who I believe is uh, an artist and in charge of the museum. I want to make sure that people, I'm going to put this back up, that they go on Facebook and search Osage Nation Museum, because if you go there right now, there are some beautiful works of art. And I know that the museum and others in, in, uh, involved are working on collecting art from people who've been homebound because of COVID, and that's called Views from Within. And there's also another art exhibit that I found really interesting uh, called Voices of the Drum. Tell us about Voices of the Drum just real quickly and, and why it's important right now. The drum is critical to our culture at the Osage and for many tribes. And the drum, our old people would say, uh, is a person. And we treat that drum, uh, this, I'm not talking about everyday drums, I'm talking about certain drums that we make. Uh, they're sacred to us. Well, there's a whole um, uh, world around these drums. And uh, depending on what the ceremony may be or what's going on. So the Osage Museum was uh, founded uh, in the 1930s as a WPA project. It's the oldest tribal museum in the country. Wow. And, and um, 
we, we in fact, we've just retained a big firm to help us uh, plan a large expansion because we have so much to show. Well, one of the uh, big projects, our Osage nonprofit, was to contact our various uh, Osage artists and invite them to take drums uh, made by, uh, well, often by one uh, very uh, well-known gentleman here who makes drums, and then put their own art um, on that and uh, to uh, express their art through those drums. And uh, that uh, exhibit will be eventually shown at our Osage Museum. And I've seen that collection and it's beautiful. Very, mm -hmm. very, very wonderful to see. I can't wait to see it. And I'm, I'm excited to hear about the Osage Museum expanding. Anyone who's going through Oklahoma definitely want to look up Osage Nation Museum and try to stop in just from what I've seen online. I, th I think it's incredible. Well, our, our time is sort of wrapping up because I, I know you're very busy and I'm very grateful that you've spent, um, you know, a half hour with us already just sharing. I want to ask you, though, as we as we sort of wrap up, you know, the culture, the ways, the traditions of the Osage people are not only highly respectful of diversity in the environment, but also there's a real value of community. And that value of community, I think, now is desperately needed. And so I, I think learning as a culture to look at what we have in our history and extract that precious, be able to look at those around us who may do life differently and see not the difference, but see the strength hidden within. And what can we learn from one another? I, I'm just so grateful. I'd like to ask you, though, about this value, this Osage value of community that I think is so desperately needed, particularly right now. If there are leaders who are listening and they want to learn with you know, their life, their leadership to lead with greater social impact and to embrace this value of community, what are two or three things that you would teach them from your own leadership lessons uh, where, where they could learn to do that more fully in their own life, Chief? Well, I've been very fortunate um, in having um, from a chief's family some, some principles uh, instilled in me as a child and while our old folks were still around. And I think uh, foremost among those is the saying, uh, and meaning behind it, be good to one another. That's, um, that's, that's powerful stuff right there. Be good to one another. They, they emphasize that and uh, that's hard to do. And, and we need to, as leaders, uh, do our best to uh, set an organizational system up and processes where that can be expressed and so we can look for ways to help each other. Secondly, um, our people would tell us to uh, try hard. Washka uh, is that word, try hard. And uh, when they said it, our people, they would uh, they would cry. I mean, actually, mm -hmm. have tears when they're talking like that about these principles. Um, 
because uh, they also would remind us that we are human and by our condition, they would say we're wachbai, we're pitiful. And, um, and uh, all of us. And so they always say, um, they turn to prayer. Um, and I, I fall short on that. Uh, I'm walked by on that, on that part. Um, but they, that's what they would teach. And uh, those are principles that we need to carry forward in my view. I think that is so powerful. I was writing them down. You said that that your the older ones, the elders used to say, "Be good to one another." They would say, "Try hard," and they would say it with tears. And they would say, "We are pitiful and human, so turn to prayer." Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing those things. Thank you for sharing your heart. And I'm I'm prayerful that. Uh, as we move into next year, perhaps we might be able to talk with you again or maybe even have you and others here on Troost Avenue at Reconciliation Services again, possibly on May 21st, which was put forward by the Kansas City, Missouri City Council as Osage Nation Day to be celebrated on Troost. And I, I pray that we can really work together to do something uh, each year to recognize that part of our city's history, to learn from your family, your culture, your traditions, from the Osage people who are highly respectful of diversity and the environment. And, and then those three lessons that you just gave us with uh, at the end, I, I'm going to hold on to those. So uh, Chief Standing Bear, thank you so much on behalf of all of us again. And I'll say for myself and those others here, you know, forgive us. And uh, let us begin together somehow by acknowledging the great pain of the past to begin to look forward together to reconciliation and to the joy that lies ahead of us. For they say in my tradition, through the cross, joy comes into all the world. So thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you. Well, way one off. That means thank you. All right. Well, hang with me for a minute while we wrap up, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back sometime very soon. Well, friends, uh, thank you for joining me today again on the Social Leader Podcast, and, and I hope you enjoyed visiting and listening to Chief Standing Bear, and I'm so grateful for his uh, confident and quiet leadership, and especially those last three lessons he left, left us with from his, from his family. And I hope that you're inspired by it. Once again, definitely go check out thesocialleader.org if you want to learn more about how to be a social leader and how to begin from your own leadership lane. That's the best place to start, thesocialleader.org. And until next time, I look forward to being with you and let's together learn to lead with greater social impact.